the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Vitucci and Associates. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Vitucci and Associates have no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Vitucci and Associates, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. The views and opinions expressed are based on current economic and market conditions and are subject to change. All investing involves risk, including the potential for loss of principle. Welcome to Don't Invest and Forget, a weekly financial news magazine designed to educate and equip you with the roadmap and direction you need to manage your money, meet your financial goals, and instill confidence in your investment choices on the road to retirement. Your host is author, radio commentator, and investment advisor, Pat Petucci of Petucci & Associates. With over 30 years' experience in the world of finance and investment planning, Pat specializes in personal and corporate investment management with special emphasis on retirement planning. Welcome to another edition of Don't Invest and Forget, the program that each and every week helps you keep your finger on the pulse of your money from Wall Street to Main Street to your wallet. Our host, 30-plus year financial manager, Pat Petucci. Today, facing the tough financial realities of retirement. Talking today about some certain realities, realities that perhaps have always been there, but for many of us, as we've seen volatility in the markets, the debate over health care, and the ever-increasing costs of living, perhaps more of us are beginning to realize that retirement, as much of a dream as it can be, can sometimes be a nightmare if you fail to upfront face the tough realities that accompany it. And toward that end, Pat, I guess for a lot of us, you know, we think about retirement and we have these ideas of spending our days and evenings on island beaches in Hawaii or perhaps traveling the country or enjoying Europe or maybe just kicking back at home playing Parcheesi all day long and watching soap operas, whatever our individual idea of retirement might be. And we tend, I think, sometimes to idealize what retirement is and in doing so, fail to plan properly to deal with these tough financial realities that retirement really brings. In life, Craig, I think we go through a variety of stages. And in most of those stages, there has been a role model that we have kind of emulated. Well, here's the reality. When you go into retirement, there really is not a role model. Not to say that our parents or grandparents didn't have a fine retirement, but we're moving into uncharted areas. We have the potential to live 30 and 40 years until retirement. In most cases, our grandparents and maybe our parents didn't have the blessing of that long of a life. So we don't 
understand how to program our minds because the country, the planet, has never had this issue of longevity. Retirement in and of itself is only about a 75-year-old notion. Last century, retirement didn't exist. If you got sick on the job and then you eventually died and didn't go back to work, But retirement is kind of a new idea. And so we don't have these role models to understand the complexity of tolerating increasing costs over that long period of time, potentially. So while it's not only both a new notion, as you suggest, sort of the the post-industrialization of America, emergence of this idea that someday you're going to stop working and enjoy the fruits of your labor and take some time to relax and enjoy the remainder of your life, not only is that new, it's also changed a lot, hasn't it? I mean, I can remember a time when retirement 50 years ago meant retiring at 62. If you were lucky, you might make it till 70, and that was about it. Today, the number of people that are surviving into their 80s, 90s, even the growing number of centarians in this country, Pat, is meaning that folks sometimes when they retire are facing, in some cases, almost as many years in retirement as they spent working. That's amazing. Very well could be. 40 years of working and 40 years of retirement. That's the good news. It's also the bad news. If you let a life of perhaps spending too much and buying too many of the toys, the question is how prepared are you for this new stage of your life that could be very, very long period of time? And we get a lot of calls, a lot of listeners come in for that no obligation consultation. And many times, Craig, we've got to have what we call our tough talk session. And it really is a little wake up call. Some people are very, very well prepared. They've got assets all over the place. They've got three, four old 401ks. They've got IRAs at the bank. They've got a Roth at the credit union. They've got a money market here and a CD there. And everywhere they went, they kind of were romanced, if you will, into opening up an account with some nice institution. But we frequently find there's not a comprehensive view of all their monies. And so what we do is wrap our arms around it and say, okay, here's the totality of it all. And are you prepared or do you have to postpone retirement for 8, 10, 12 years because perhaps there's not enough money. Something else has drastically changed too, Pat, and we've certainly seen an acceleration of this in the last um, 5 to 10 years, and particularly since the economic downcline, and that is this idea of pensions. There used to be a time when you might have a pension from the railroad, for example, or from your union, and that along with Social Security would often provide for a fairly comfortable retirement lifestyle, assuming, of course, that you're not really uh, planning to go over board. It's not a cruise every other week. Perhaps like it was for mom and dad or for our grandparents, our home is paid off. That has changed pretty drastically too, hasn't it? It really has. Debt loads are very different. Our lifestyles are very different. You know, our parents may have gone to the neighboring state to go on vacation. That was a big deal to drive all that distance on highways that weren't invented yet. So taking back roads to a neighboring state was a big issue. And I'm sure they had fun and enjoyed themselves. This age group, we go to Europe or we go to Africa on safari or Bali or very expensive trips, unlike the ones our parents may have taken. And so the whole notion of retirement conjures up different visions of how we're going to spend our time. And the underlying vision is a big budget. And if you haven't prepared, those big trips may just be uh, watching public TV. But we want to have a dose of reality at these meetings and have that tough talk session that kind of outlines what some of the big issues are. And I guess we can talk about the first one, Craig, is healthcare. We know healthcare has been rampant in its cost in almost every case, with few exceptions. 
we're going to have to fund that health care issue ourselves. Our parents probably had health care for the rest of their life in their company. They had a pension, and they, in most cases, they had health care. Here's a stat I read recently. In 1985, not too many years ago, 91% of American corporations had pensions. 1985, 91%. Move the clock forward. The most recent studies are 2007. 16%, Craig, have pensions. So it's gone from 91% to 16%. And I'll bet if we do the study a couple years from now, we're going to be in the single digits pretty easily. With that idea in mind, Pat, one of the most important things perhaps listeners can take away from eavesdropping on our conversation today is the idea that there's been a major shift here. The shift has taken place both in terms of expectations. I mean, as you aptly pointed out, when mom and dad or our grandparents retired, retirement might meant an occasional trip to Florida, maybe, or a neighboring state or something. It wasn't typically filled with grandiose plans of worldwide travel and spending time on cruise ships and overseas. And so the expense level was significantly lower. But while we've seen this major shift in lifestyle and expectations, having gone from one car, one telephone, one home in the 1950s to multiple cars, multiple telephones and TV sets, and perhaps even multiple homes in the new millennium. The thing that occurs to me, Pat, is that there has not been a shift in thinking, has there? Meaning that the methodology or, or strategy that's been employed to deal with retirement is not that much different for many people than it was for our grandparents, meaning they're anticipating a little bit of money put aside in the bank here, maybe a CD, maybe a small 401k, Social Security. They're thinking very much the way our grandparents did when it came to planning for retirement, but their expectations of what they want to experience at retirement have shifted dramatically. There is a serious disconnect, Greg. And I think we've talked about it on our show a lot. When folks come in for our consultation, we get down to some pretty nitty gritty numbers. And the goal is to actually prepare a post-retirement budget. And we look at all the overhead that one has to fund. And then we look at the income levels based on whether they have a pension, social security, or monies from 401k IRAs. And so that's a real eye opener. And as I said, in many cases, you know, the old adage, we're hardest on ourselves, Craig. And in many cases, there's a fair level of preparedness. In some cases, we have, you know, have that session where we say, look, we highly recommend you work for another five more years. It's not received real well, but we can't put rose colored glasses on and say everything's going to be wonderful and make some rosy recommendations when they're not rooted in reality. And today we're taking a look at some realities. In fact, um, helping folks face the tough financial realities of retirement with our host, Pat Fatucci. We'll continue our conversation and recap some of the key points as we continue taking a look at some very important keys toward financial independence at retirement. A look at facing the tough financial realities of retirement with host Pat Fatucci continues. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program or to schedule your appointment for a no-obligation financial plan tune-up at one of their offices near you, go to the website, don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. And now, Don't Invest and Forget 
We're talking today with our host, Pat Vitucci, about facing the tough financial realities of retirement. And to recap, one of the important things we need to realize is there's been a major shift in the longevity tables. When mom and dad or perhaps grandma and grandpa faced retirement, that might have meant retiring at 60 or 62, and maybe if they were lucky and enjoyed good health, making it into their early 70s. That today is no longer the case. In fact, there's an exponential growth in the number of centurions. In the next several years, we could see as millions and millions of people living well into their 80s, 90s, and even into 100 years. That means retirement has gone from a proposition of maybe 10 years to now maybe 30 or even 40 years. Are you prepared? Will your money last as long as you do? Secondarily, as Pat points out, one of the big changing components that's a major shift from what mom and dad experienced to what we might be facing today, and that is the number of companies that are offering pension funds are getting fewer and fewer, and even some companies are going bankrupt and can't even fulfill the promises that they made to workers years ago. Thirdly, higher costs. Pat, you mentioned about this major shift we're seeing in expenditures, everything from housing to even some of the basics in life like health care. And if we fail to plan to address any of these three keys, it certainly will put a major blockage in the road toward retirement, won't it? Yeah, there's no question. Healthcare is a uh, mind-boggling number that continues to have double-digit inflation numbers for as many years as I can recall. Is it a good idea to take Social Security early, take the haircut? In other words, you get less at 62 or 63 or 64. Most people today don't qualify for the full check until age 66 in some months. And then Uncle Sam dangles his carrot. If you wait till 70, you get a much bigger check. And so let's talk about a couple of those issues. If you're still working and you take Social Security at 62 and you don't have enough money to contribute to the 401k or your plan at work, and you don't have the money to participate in the catch-up provision, in other words, $5,500 more. So you've got a 401k limit in most cases, about 15500 and then you've got a catch-up provision. That's $21,000. Well, what if you take your Social Security, which let's just assume for the sake of this discussion is $21,000, but you put it all in your pre-tax plan, it has the effect of not having any negative drain on your tax bracket, but you will have successfully, on a tax-deferred basis, sequestered that $21,000 away for the next three, five, or seven years. So maybe there's an opportunity to have some consideration for not having that premature Social Security check coming in and exacerbating, worsening your tax bracket and concurrently be able to participate in your employer-sponsored plan. It really comes down to a reality check then, Pat. Adjust our expectations. Previous generations had for retirement have changed. Then, too, we have to maybe adjust it based on the financial realities that we're facing, meaning that delay retirement from what we might consider to be the ideal age to something that's more appropriate from an income basis, take advantage of the catch-up to be able to accelerate for a few more years contributions into our 401k so that when we arrive at that magic number, 68, 72, whatever it might be, that we know we've got enough money that's going to be able to sustain us. We are having more and more of our clients in the late 60s, early 70s, making the bold statement, really don't want to retire. They love what they do. They love the contribution they're making. It's part of the fabric of who they are. And yeah, the money helps. In some cases, they're very well prepared, but they just don't want to retire, Craig. They love what they do. I mean, you and I are 
love what we do, but I suspect knowing you and knowing me will probably reduce our work week somewhat and work a little bit less and go out and smell the flowers a little more than we do today, even though we were perhaps prepared. But maybe we're going to be like them, Craig. What do you think? I don't know. I'm inclined to think so. And there's a lot of good reasons for that. Number one, as we've mentioned earlier, we're living longer. We're enjoying a greater degree of health. So our ability to keep working longer means something. Also, I think in the sense of being able to continue contributing to society and and the world and doing something significant in life is certainly good when it comes to encouraging our own sense of of self-value and self-worth. And then at the tertiary level, Pat, sometimes just the reality of, you know what, as we continue to see money coming in, that will help supplement our retirement dollars, allowing us to enjoy the kind of lifestyle that we'd like to enjoy when we reach those years that we'd like to perhaps uh, ease off a bit on the gas pedal and, and not fly through life quite as fast as we had been during our peak working years. It always concerns me when we have a new prospect coming in from our radio show here and they tell me they will retire in in nine years, seven months and 14 days. That kind of countdown suggests when they cross over the finish line, they're going to be disappointed because retirement is not what it's trumped up to be. Sometimes your job is demanding and it nails you down to a very demanding work schedule. But when you go through the other side, I have seen this so many times with our clients, there is such a hard adjustment that it frequently is a disappointment because you've got too much time on your hands and you haven't cultivated other interests or your job really was and defines a lot of who you are. There's the social contribution. You go to lunch with your buddies. There's a lot of interaction. Then you go home and it's, wow, like nobody's calling me. Nobody's emailing me. It's kind of an empty feeling that allegedly some of my clients have difficulty reacting, but those who perhaps stay engaged in, in either their job or as a consultant doing something. I don't think you can play golf or tennis or go on cruises every week. I mean, it's, you know, either it's cost prohibitive or your body doesn't wear too well when you're trying to do something physically demanding every day. So I think it's got to be a whole collection of things to do that you are passionate about specifically. And frequently it's not this drop dead date of I left my job and I'm never going to go back to it again. And I think that's becoming less and less the picture. One of the other things that perhaps you can shed some light on for our listeners, Pat, we alluded to the notion that um, grandma and grandpa were perhaps the first generation with the establishment of Social Security back in the 1930s to pay into the system and then enjoy some money upon retirement. They were also unique in the sense that most of them paid far fewer dollars into the system than they ultimately received. Today, though, we're seeing a shift take place. By the year 2025, we will actually experience as more and more millions of Americans, the so-called baby boomer generation, arrive at retirement that will actually have more people drawing on Social Security than actually paying into the system. What do you think a shift of that enormity is going to mean in terms of the percentage or degree that Social Security plays in our retirement dollars? It's not a system that was well-designed given the huge shift in how long we are living. Retirees today, their Social Security check represents a fairly significant high percentage of their income. When most boomers retire, it will be a very small percentage of their income. And I think given this lack of a role model, we're looking to our parents. Well, our parents are living comfortably on their Social Security, and maybe they've got a few bucks in a pension. Maybe they don't. Again, you mentioned earlier, our folks don't have mortgages and don't have fancy cars and don't have expectations of 
traveling to expensive places several times a year, we're going to see a punch in the arm, if you will, or maybe a punch in the stomach in terms of what the expectations of that Social Security check is going to be a very, very small and shrinking part of our income in retirement. There's no question. We know it's a broken system and the boomers are just beginning to tap into it. Wait till they hit big time. It's just going to wreak havoc. And the only reaction Washingtonians can do is increase the eligibility age and decrease the benefit levels. There's there's no other magic about it. That's inevitable. And so it's going to mean we have to get our income from other sources. It reminds me of that old adage, something's got to give. Well, Pat, certainly during the current situation related to the shelter-in-place order that we're all dealing with throughout the San Francisco Bay Area, some people with extra time on their hands might ideally be suited to pause for a moment, take a look at where their retirement investments are, consider whether or not, even against the backdrop of the current events on Wall Street, they actually have the proper strategy in place to get them to and through retirement. And so while many of us have Wall Street and retirement top of mind these days and uh, regretfully some extra time on our hands, why not take advantage of a complimentary financial health and retirement plan review that can easily be done via the Internet or by telephone? Make your appointment today. Simply go to DontInvestAndForget.com. That's DontInvestAndForget.com. While Vitucci & Associates is, for the time being, not receiving clients into the offices, again, that appointment can be scheduled with an advisor easily by telephone. Go to DontInvestAndForget.com. That's DontInvestAndForget.com. Or call toll-free 888-PLANWISE. That's 888-PLANWISE. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA SIPC. Batucci and Associates, Proxy Freedom, and United Planners are not affiliated. Are you worried about the future and safety of your retirement plan? Well, you're certainly not alone. And as you prepare for retirement, you're facing a bit of a wild ride in the stock market and lots of happenings in the world that you have no control over. Plus inflation, higher taxes. It's just a lot to think about. Not easy, is it? And a magic wand won't keep your retirement secure. At Vitucci & Associates, don't invest and forget, powered by Proxy, our team can certainly help. Their specialty is simple, helping people develop a solid plan for retirement to help generate predictable income and take a lot of the worry away, which is nice. Check out a free consultation in person at one of our several Bay Area offices or a Zoom meeting or simply over the phone. Visit don'tinvestandforget.com or call 888-PLAN-WISE. That's don'tinvestandforget.com or 888-PLAN-WISE. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program or to schedule your appointment for a no-obligation financial plan tune-up at one of their offices near you, go to the website, don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. And now, Don't Invest and Forget. My very special guest today, Jack Stahl. Jack is the former president of Coca-Cola and CEO of Revlon. He recently wrote a book entitled Lessons on Leadership, the Seven Fundamental Management Skills for Leaders at All Levels. In his book, he simplifies the complexity of building a world-class organization. Jack, welcome to the show. 
Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Jack, you've had obviously a lot of exciting roles in your career. Talk to us about Coca-Cola and Revlon, two top name companies with lots of demands on your life. How have those career positions kind of shaped you? Well, I had the good fortune to be at Coca-Cola at a time when the company was really changing and beginning to really accelerate its growth under new leadership and had the opportunity to play a role in moving the market value of that company from about $3 billion to over $100 billion over the course of 20 years. And I learned a tremendous amount. I made my own share of mistakes, but I learned some core skills that helped me move from finance to general management to ultimately being president of the company. In my book, Lessons on Leadership, I focus on some very basic, concrete skills and action steps that one can use in various aspects of their career, running from leadership all the way through influencing people. Then I went to Revlon, and Revlon was a much smaller brand, a company loaded with debt. So I had a chance to operate in a much more entrepreneurial environment while running Revlon, which I did for about five years. But again, those basic core skills that I learned early in my career from great people were really important to success and helping to move the ball forward at Revlon. So I've been fortunate to be around some great people for a long time. Yeah, there's so many books, Jack, as you well know, written about leadership, but what really counts is how you execute on that raw talent. Seems to be a real shortage of strong leaders who can execute and get the job done consistently year after year. There's only a handful of people in America that have that combination of raw talent, intellect, and people skills to make it all happen. Part of that is just a fair number of managers and ultimately leaders believe that when you get into a more senior management role, that you should spend 100% of your time thinking about the big picture or thinking about the view from 60,000 feet. And my view, based on my own training, was leaders and managers need to be situational. You know, in the morning, it might be the view at 60,000 feet. You know, it might be focusing on the strategy or the plan for your organization, large or small. But at a different point in the day, you've got to be willing to roll up your sleeves and focus on the details of your business, particularly where you see evidence that other people are not maintaining that same focus. So I think it's a balance, and it puts a premium on a leader being situational in his or her approach to running a business for an organization. And it's that constant shifting and pivoting from 60,000 feet to six feet. Exactly. I grew up as a young financial analyst being willing to get people coffee and do what was necessary to get a meeting room prepared for a meeting. You know, gaining a degree of flexibility and personal flexibility teaches you that later in your career, you're going to be more willing to roll up your sleeves and get into the details of a key project that can make you or break you. And I think it's so important. I suspect a lot of managers just want to overmanage. You know, you know, we've got the classic example of Warren Buffett who says, here's a company, go out and manage it, talk to me once in a while. And then there's the other overbearing kind of manager that just wants to uh, second guess and dot every I and cross every T. And, and certainly a lot of room between those two theories of and philosophies of management. Well, I think that's right. And I think part of it is as a manager – at all levels, it's being focused on what your management routines are. When I walk through these in the book, I give some examples from Coca-Cola and Revlon, where putting in place weekly meetings to focus on key projects and how you run those meetings to make sure that you're focused on what has to happen in the immediate term and over the longer term in a key project, making sure you get from people what their key action steps are supposed to be, listen to where those action steps are breaking down for whatever reason, and agree on follow-up actions. And it takes just that kind of discipline 
every week or every month around those things that are important to your organization's health. And I outlined some examples of those kinds of routines in the book, but they do allow a leader to have a relatively efficient lens into the details of the business. You know, Jack, you've been at that stratosphere where guys like Warren Buffett and uh, the other thing I think about is Jack Welch, which he had that Six Sigma whole system where it's all about expectation setting, isn't it? And I, I suspect you had your own system of setting expectations. And when your managers made them, you would reward them. And obviously, if they didn't, you had to take some action. It, it, there's really both sides of that coin. And you have to be willing to make decisions on promoting or terminating uh, relationships based on meeting those expectations. I think that's right. I think there's also a middle step there, and that is if someone is not meeting expectations, trying to get underneath and find out, is it a skill gap? Is it some weakness in that person's toolkit or skill set that's keeping them from performing at the level you'd hope? And then if it is a skill gap, how do you get that person some coaching or some training or some feedback? So hopefully they can close that gap and strengthen their performance with the company. One of the things I've done in the book is provide a model for providing feedback and getting underneath what skills are important to people's success so that before you have to take an action to let somebody go, you can determine, can you help grow a skill that what might really help that person be effective and successful? My special guest today, Jack Stahl. Jack is the former president of Coca-Cola and CEO of Revlon. We're talking about his recent book, Lessons on Leadership. Jack, at Coca-Cola and Revlon, obviously you were involved in the two best-known brands. As the world becomes more cluttered with marketing messages, how has the fundamentals of brand positioning changed? There's so many messages out there. How do you not get your message lost and have it stand out in a real articulate way in, in which the public should accept that? Well, I think that starts with having taken the time as a leader or a manager to really define clearly what it is you want your brand to represent. And at Coca-Cola, we talked about brand Coke. It was all about being genuine and authentic and great taste and refreshment and making moments with friends a bit more special. That's what brand Coke is. We took the time, though, to be very clear and very specific about what the brand positioning was, what it delivered to consumers. And then as a leader, making sure that every marketing action, every business action really reinforces that brand positioning. One of the best examples at Coke was to reinforce the idea of the product being genuine and authentic. We developed many years ago, the advertising people did, the It's the Real Thing campaign. And I'm sure many people would remember that advertising campaign. And it reinforced that Coke was the authentic soft drink and the authentic cola brand. It starts with good thinking and then making sure that every marketing action aligns with driving your brand. And not only in this country, but worldwide. I mean, Coca-Cola is probably one of the most recognized brands throughout the world. How do you extend that in brand new countries where you hadn't sold Coke before? It does start with remembering the core elements of what the brand is that you're working to expand geographically. And typically, a global brand will have one positioning. And for Coke, it was that genuine nature, the great taste and refreshment. And then when you get into a different culture or a different environment, the way you bring that message to life through your advertising and promotional materials may look somewhat different and feel somewhat different. But in that culture, whether it be Brazil or Germany or Japan, you're still reinforcing the core elements of the brand. My special guest today, Jack Stahl. Jack is the former president of Coca-Cola and CEO of Revlon. We're talking about his recent book, Less on leadership. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. 
Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services, member FINRA, SIPC. Fatucci and Associates proxy freedom and United Planners are not affiliated. You probably don't wake up each morning thinking, hmm, how can I better plan for retirement? But we do at Fatucci and Associates in partnership with Proxy Freedom. Wake up and think about how we can help you better prepare for retirement. That is what we do. COVID's been going on. Stock market hard to predict. Politicians continue squabbling. Can't control those things. Nope. But what we can control and do best is to help figure out the best way for you to have a predictable income for the rest of your life. That's our goal. We can probably help you. Visit don'tinvestandforget.com or call 888-PLAN-WISE. A free consultation can work in person at one of our several Bay Area offices or a Zoom meeting or on the phone. Don'tinvestandforget.com or 888-PLAN-WISE. And don't worry, this is not our first rodeo. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program or to schedule your appointment for a no-obligation financial plan tune-up at one of their offices near you, go to the website, don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. And now, Don't Invest and Forget. My special guest, Jack Stahl. Jack is the former president of Coca-Cola and CEO of Revlon. We're talking about his recent book, Lessons on Leadership. We're talking about branding in the last section, Jack. And Coca-Cola has been very successful in forging relationships with sports teams, movies. Talk to our listeners about that vertical and horizontal kind of marketing. Well, I think a key to a brand is thinking about every marketing tool that's available to you and then prioritizing. So many forms of media today have dispersed and consumers are being cluttered and they're being bombarded with marketing material today. And the the reality is leaders need to select those that are most going to drive your brand. We went through a process like that at Coke, where for years, Coca-Cola relied on signage in stadiums, for example, in baseball stadiums and football stadiums. A Coca-Cola sign might have been attractive, but it might have been very passive to the fan in the stands who saw the same thing from Budweiser or other consumer products. And I think one of the things that we learned to try to do is create marketing programs that really engage with the consumer in an active way. So at Baseball Stadium in Atlanta, we built a themed attraction, Braves Baseball and Coca-Cola, where kids could go in and sit in a Coca-Cola themed chair. They could pour themselves an ice cold Coke. They could run the bases courtesy of Coca-Cola. And it was something that was very engaging and reinforced the brand and it wasn't passive. So looking at all the forms of marketing tools and finding those that are most engaging that really separate you out from your competitor is so important because you've got to make your marketing dollars work twice. There's just too many calls for resources today. Yeah, even in our local stadium, we've got a big Coca-Cola bottle sitting out there in left field. Well, that's exactly right. And 30 years ago, that would have been a very passive sign. Now you've got a bottle that you can recall. 30 years ago, if you'd been in the stadium, there might have been a sign and you might not even remember who was the soft drink sponsor. In your book, you talk about strengthening your relationship with your customer and really staying focused on who your customer is. And that's where I think a lot of companies perhaps get themselves into trouble. I think that's often true. And I point out in the book something on the order of 
60 to 70 percent of the people that change suppliers do it primarily because of simply the person that's calling on them is not someone that's paying attention to the needs of their business. So that starts, I believe, with very good listening skills, taking the time to sit with your customer and ask some basic questions. What are your needs? What is your strategy? Where do you want to take your business? What are you struggling with inside of your company or organization? And what are your challenges? And if you hear those things coming back from a customer, maybe a customer says, gee, I need some help in my marketing in this example. And then you as a supplier might be in a position to help with them with some resources that go beyond the normal product and service. They can cement your relationships. But I think it starts with taking the time to ask questions of your customers or about their own business challenges and strategies and plans, and then matching up what you have inside your company to those needs. And I think you really do limit risk and, and create opportunity through that kind of listening approach. Even if we're not in a sales position, most corporate people are selling their ideas to their boss, to their peers, to their subordinates. As you mentioned in your book, it's all about effectively influencing people is really the linchpin for leadership of success and you're listening as you mentioned people want to be heard and if they're heard then they'll be motivated to do things for you that is the basic message i think you're right they want to be heard they want to be valued in your many years what's the most important lesson you you learn as a leader of coca-cola you can talk to our young executives out there that would love to emulate somebody like you and where you grew to, to to the top leadership post Well, I think someone who's thinking about growing their career and strengthening their own career options, for me, it was always about understanding what the core skills were that were important for success and putting yourself around people who can help you learn those core skills. And I always thought about that in terms of seeing opportunities is a core skill, the ability to see an opportunity to reduce cost or grow your market position, the ability to plan and develop a strategy, the ability to execute get things done, the ability to work as part of a team and communicate effectively, and then ultimately the ability to develop other people to do those things better than you can. I think those five or six key areas are core to the growth of people's careers, and it helps them create career flexibility and options for themselves. So I guess my best advice would be, particularly early in your career, try to find yourself in places where you can learn from people who can teach you those core skills. And I do lay them out in the book and and provide some real examples of how I think they can be important to your success. Jack, thinking back 20, 30 years ago, the dynamics of managing people included different personality types, and then women came on the scene in a much bigger way. So it was a male-dominated corporate world, and men had to adapt and learn to work more effectively with women. Managers today have another whole collection of cultures, and it's almost a catch-up education that we all have to understand how to motivate different kinds of cultures, which really bleeds out into their corporate world. Are young execs more challenged today, or is it just a different set of challenges compared to what execs had maybe 20, 30 years ago? The challenges probably are different. I think the makeup of the workforce is changing dramatically, and I think that's a great thing. I think it's something to be capitalized on and I watch my own son and I watch him operate inside of his company with people that have had different experiences and challenges and everything else. And they turn that into an advantage. But I think it starts with recognizing their strength in that and that there's strength in that diversity of experience and thought. And then creating an environment inside your organization where you seek out those points of view that can be so valuable and take the time to listen, take the time to be visible to your people. And so that you are hearing their thoughts and feedback and they have an opportunity to hear from you. At Revlon, I set a goal of 
having 100 one-on-one conversations per week across the organization. And those conversations can be in the elevator, they can be in the cafeteria, but just taking the time to listen to the challenges of your people, share a story or an experience with them. And I think with that, you have a much greater chance to capitalize on a diverse workforce that does bring so many different skills and experiences. It just takes time and energy and commitment to do it and a willingness to listen. With that listening comes attitude. In Chapter 6 of your book, you talk about encouraging financial people to have an attitude of service versus one of control. That's a fundamental mind shift in terms of how you interact with your ultimate client, isn't it? I think so. And, you know, I think by having an attitude of service as a financial person, for example, I think this is true for many staff functions. If you're in there providing service to your clients across your organization, maybe it's in the form of analysis or helping them think through a problem, you're in the dialogue, you're in the game, you've got a seat at the table. Then you can play and have the ability to place the control functions in place that are so necessary in most businesses, in any business. But most important, you've got to have a seat at the table and be in the dialogue with your internal clients to be in a position to shape the course of their actions. But that happens through good service at the beginning, and that service allows you to play the control role ultimately that does need to be played as well. Jack Stahl, the former president of Coca-Cola and CEO of Revlon, his recent book, Lessons on Leadership, The Seven Fundamental Management Skills. Jack, thanks so much for spending time with me today. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it very much. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services, member FINRA SIPC, Petucci & Associates, Proxy Freedom, and United Planners are not affiliated. Are you worried about the future and safety of your retirement plan? Well, you're certainly not alone. And as you prepare for retirement, you're facing a bit of a wild ride in the stock market and lots of happenings in the world that you have no control over. Plus inflation, higher taxes, it's just a lot to think about. Not easy, is it? And a magic wand won't keep your retirement secure. At Vitucci & Associates, don't invest and forget, powered by Proxy, our team can certainly help. Their specialty is simple, helping people develop a solid plan for retirement to help generate predictable income and take a lot of the worry away, which is nice. Check out a free consultation in person at one of our several Bay Area offices or a Zoom meeting or simply over the phone. Visit don'tinvestandforget.com or call 888-PLAN-WISE. That's don'tinvestandforget.com or 888-PLAN-WISE. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program or to schedule your appointment for a no-obligation financial plan tune-up at one of their offices near you, go to the website, don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. And now, don't invest and forget. You've heard it said that cash is king. Well, if that be true, then certainly in retirement it goes by another name, specifically cash flow. One of the biggest concerns that new retirees have these days is how to maintain their income in retirement. If you might be worrying about how you can make your income last throughout retirement, you really need to be flexible. You need to be able to think on your feet. You need to shift your strategy when you reach retirement and be prepared to perhaps in some ways get creative when it comes to not only cutting some of your expenses, but bringing additional income in. That might be taking a part-time job, working as a consultant in your former field. A lot of people are getting creative with things like even joining Airbnb and maybe renting out a spare room. 
all those things are wonderful, wonderful ideas. Downsizing your home. Maybe you don't need that big house anymore. The kids are gone. Yes, you'd like to have them over for Sunday dinner or Christmas or Easter. But is it worth carrying that giant house for a couple, three or four days a year? Take them out to a nice restaurant or rent the place somewhere. And a lot of folks, especially in the Bay Area, have a lot of their equity, a lot of their net worth tied up in those expensive two-by-fours. And so the question is, should you cash in those big home and move to a smaller home, cut your expenses, your PG&E bill, again, not insignificant any longer, your water bill, not insignificant, all those items, your insurance bill. So what does that do to your monthly nut if you were to downsize your home or another radical idea, move 100 miles away? 100 miles away, you get twice the house for half the cost. Yes, but I want to be close to my community, my church, my kids. That's the trade-off that we have to face, and it's always a collection of trade-offs that we want to entertain. I've counseled just a, a couple recently. They said they really want to travel. They've not gone to Europe. They want to go to Africa. They really want to t- take off, and given their budget, I said, well, there's not a lot of money for nice vacations, except if you trade in that giant house with no mortgage, and you buy down, and that's exactly what they did. They traded in their big house for a small condo. Their income just on the house was five grand a month after they made the investment of the difference in what they sold the house for, what they bought the condo for. And five grand a month gives them a couple nice trips a year to enjoy. And that was their trade-off. That was their decision to trade off. And it, it was painful especially for, for the woman. A woman tend to feel their home is the place where they rest their head. And to her credit, she said, you know what? I want to travel more than I like this big house. And that was her decision. In many cases, no, I want the big house. I will pass on the uh, on the trips because this is my where I rest on my head, on my pillow every night. You can't take fault with either of those positions, but it is a decision. It is a trade-off of, uh, you know, where do you want dollars to be to go on to go into the real estate taxes and PG&E bill and water bill and mortgage, if there's still a mortgage? Or do you want to take that trip to Europe twice a year or to Africa or India or wherever you, wherever you want to go? So life is full of decisions. How about going back to work a couple of days a week or your spouse is a little bit younger? He or she wants to work a couple, three days a week. All those decisions can add to your cash flow in some way, shape, or form. 72% of pre-retirees want to keep working even in retirement, Craig. So this is a different notion of retirement. It's not just you work too hard and then you go into a play too hard mode. It's a radical departure from, from one extreme right to the other. You work 100 hours a week. And then you retire 100 hours a week. And that's why people have such difficulty adjusting to retirement because they go from one extreme right to the other. Maybe acclimating to it by working a couple, three days a week is a way to migrate a little bit slower lifestyle and maybe taking a a few weeks here or there every couple months off. And there's a, a lot of employers who are very adaptable to that kind of schedule. And it works out for the employer and it works out for, for the employee uh, having that because they typically come back, they're, they're mature, they're charged up. They're mature workers who, who enjoy 
contributing, it works out favorably for everybody involved. So lots of ways of getting to that cash flow number. We've covered a bunch of them, but if you'd like to hear any more, certainly we're available to meet in any one of our 16 Bay Area offices. And, and everybody's situation, Craig, is unique. And how you get to that cash flow number and how you get to that cash flow uh, stream is different every time. It's just incredible how different people have created cash flows from 40 years of working and a lot of different ways of skinning the cat. Never any cost or obligation to sit down, figure out what will your expenses look like? What will your income look like? You can schedule the appointment online conveniently. Simply log on to don'tinvestandforget.com. Don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. You've been listening to Don't Invest and Forget with author and investment advisor, Pat Fatucci. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program or to schedule your appointment for a no-obligation financial plan tune-up in one of Bay Area offices of Fatucci & Associates near you, go to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. Or call toll-free 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. Or visit don'tinvestandforget.com. Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Vitucci and Associates. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Vitucci and Associates have no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Vitucci and Associates, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.